Hello and welcome to Setting the Stage, Episode 3, Edwin and Marwaleth. Let's get started. So today I'm talking to Edwin, um, and you want to give a short introduction for yourself first? Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Edwin. Um, I, I'm 25 here in the United States, big old uh, state of Texas, <laughs> all the way down south. Yep. Big. Um, I'm fairly new to D&D um, in the grand scheme of things. I, I started about, give or take, about like two years ago. Um, I It's a bit of an interesting thing. I, and I have, at this point, I think I have more of an experience being a DM than I have an actual uh, experience being a player. Um, yeah, and I, I just, uh, and I... I've always liked writing stories, but I never really had a medium to do so until now. So now mm-hmm. it's the one thing that I find myself doing almost every single day. Um, I, cool. uh, yeah, I, I'm a cat dad. I have two cats just here vibing with me. They might come around and rub up on the microphone, so I hope that's not too much of a problem every well, now and then you know if it's cute <laughs> we'll leave it in if not then we'll we'll edit around it so not an issue cool um, um what do you do for like work or school outside of D D? um at the moment uh just uh retail um been doing retail for the last couple of years just a little bit of everything um mm-hmm. my uh latest adventure is uh being a cart pusher so you know um working outside pushing like 20 to 30 pounds of metal uphill nine hours a day real fun stuff you know arguably one of the easiest things to do in the retail industry as hard as it sounds well yeah no customer interaction yeah no you don't have to deal with money no inventory no nothing it's just you uh set at your buds and you just do it until you have to clock out yep um if it's rainy or sunny then it sucks yeah yeah i I, i'd much prefer, prefer it to be rainy than sunny though Especially down here, it's 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 a uh, it gets so bad that sometimes the um, the ground where like little little like parking lot islands sometimes catch on fire. But Ooh. that's uh <laughs> it only lasts for about like a good two three months maybe. Um, yeah. But then again, it's Texas. Texas is bipolar. Um, <laughs> I uh, but yeah no I am um, other than D and D one of my other hobbies is trying to get into voiceover. Um, so hopefully trying to find something better that will help me, uh, you know, get a little bit more money, um, get some better equipment, start auditioning for some, a couple other yeah. things here and there. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I don't get up to much. Uh, the, the most interesting part of me is that I'm, I, I'm the one who's trying to world build everything that I've created so far. Um. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um. So let's get into how did you get started with D and D? Um. Like, you could, did you get started as a player or a DM? What What brought you into the game? I did get started as a player. Um. This was early February or March of 2020. Um. Mm-hmm. I have a friend of mine that I've known ever since high school, and. It wasn't until after we graduated and started looking into things that we were like, you know, this actually sounds kind of fun. Um, we might want to give it a try. And somewhere to the grapevine, he found a friend of his that knew a dungeon master that was looking for people to play with. 
And we were like, sure, why not? Like, no, let's just pick a time, pick a place. And we were lucky enough that it was an in-person game. That didn't come up until maybe later that summer. So I mm -hmm. officially, my actual first experience with D&D &D anything um, was me trying to study and well, study, quote unquote, um, and uh, start watching Critical Role, um, which I assume is like the gateway drug <laughs> for most people that do D and D. Yeah, yeah, that's been <laughs> a very popular way to get in now. That and Stranger Things would be the two yeah. big pop culture draws at this point. Um, but I started watching that just to try and see, mostly just to understand how the mechanics worked, because I would try to like look at it. Um, I and I had bought the the player's handbook, started reading through it, and it felt a little bit overwhelming um nothing too bad but you know the um after a couple of months it was like yeah like we discovered how to do like character sheets and whatnot and we started trying to brainstorm uh ridiculous ideas because we didn't know how things would work um like for some reason uh i thought it would be a great idea uh because my first character was a ranger a beastmaster ranger um mm -hmm. I thought it would be a great idea to have his, you know, there's this whole backstory to him being like some sort of oracle that was raised at birth, uh, like to serve uh, like a, a cult dedicated to Tiamat or something. And one thing led to another, and it uh, ended up being like, yeah, and he gets his um, his eyes burned out or whatever. And I sent the backstory to my GM. Is like, well, that's great and all, and actually fits with the with the campaign and whatnot, but you said you're a ranger, right? It's like, yeah. It's like, well, you kind of need your eyes for ranged weapons, so we, we, we might need to rework that a bit, especially since you're a new player. We don't want to get into too much homebrew stuff, so let's just try to keep it simple. Oh, man. When I, when I first got into D&D, &D, I was 10, and I had just been playing Pokemon, and my dad told me about it, um, and I said, oh, I want to be a bat uh, that can, like, cast spells. <laughs> and, uh, that that was not approved uh, for yeah. for play, but yeah, we all we all have some crazy ideas when we first get into it, and then usually have to tamp it down mm -hmm. to something realistic or whatever works with the system that we're we're running with. Yeah, of course. And also something to note that was, and I guess just for the for the sake of keeping things simple, um, he was running a a module, which I think was the. If I'm not mistaken, the first module for 5e, um, it's um, Horde of the Dragon Queen, I think. I forget. Uh, yeah, that, that was one of the early ones, yeah. But, yeah, um, we went and we were just, you know, trying to have this done, playing through it and whatnot, you know, meeting these, most of these new people you know, that, that had connections to my other friend and whatnot. But... Um, one thing that kind of threw us off a tiny bit was just uh, how not so freeform it was because of the fact that it was a module. Like, most of it was just being read from a book. Mm -hmm. Like, there wasn't much... Uh, it felt kind of restrictive. Like, like it, it kind of almost seemed like, oh, you're you're playing a game and it feels open world, but... Like, if you walk too far, the walls are invisible, and, like, you can't walk past them. There's a certain point where you can't do anything. Yeah. Um, and, again, like, it, it's... And, and I've seen this a lot online and whatnot, but that's um, that's kind of the 
the thing that a lot of people that end up watching like Critical Role and any other kind of stuff that's D and D based that end up doing that first and then trying to go into D and D, I kind of have the same experience, I assume. Um, where it's like, oh, it's not the same because it's not like you know some grand, you know, world where all this stuff is happening. It's just this one centered story and whatnot. And also, you know, it just depends on you know what DM wants to do, what like what style they have and whatnot. And yeah, uh, for sure. And it just it um. We kind of both like talked about it a bit, and we we're like, you know, it, it's not what we were expecting, and it's not bad, but it's not what we were looking for either. Like, we were looking for something that was more like actual, like role play and story oriented, and like you know, trying to get the other players involved. Where you know, on the other hand, the other players were mostly just looking to you know show up and hit things, and you know, that's it. Just call it a day. It's like, okay, cool. That's Everyone has their own style of play and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, you have railroading at the far end, and then like complete improv player mm-hmm. directed stuff at the other end. So, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. I, I, unfortunately, after a couple of months, um, that fell apart just because of scheduling conflicts and whatnot. That's you know. Yeah, that's typical. That's usually what ends up happening, and we went on for a couple of months after that just being like you know like we'll let's look at forums let's uh let's go visit you know the uh well the dnd store we were playing at uh let's go to the bulletin board like maybe there are people that are looking for something and we just um i don't know we 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 never really got the courage to do anything else because we didn't know these people we you know we, we didn't really feel comfortable having anything like that because we i didn't have any kind of like personal connection with them no, I've definitely um, felt that way where I've had more fun playing with friends that don't usually play D&D mm-hmm. than with strangers that do. Exactly. You know, and then um we we definitely felt that after we tried because we we didn't have any luck forming anything in person. So we went online. And we started mm-hmm. trying to find stuff on uh, Roll20 on um just servers on Discord that were forming, you know, under the banner of like, "Oh, we play D&D if you want to join us," you know? Just hit the link, and we'll be right here. Uh, messed around with a a really cool program called Tailspire. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Um, uh, I I know some. I have heard of it, mm-hmm. but I don't know much about it. If you want to talk about it now a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, Tailspire is basically... Um, it's technically a game engine of sorts that's uh, available through Steam on PC. That um, if you're a DM, it basically lets you... If uh, if people out there are familiar with uh, Dwarven Forge tiles to actually create like physical mm-hmm. 3D renditions of a battle map that are you know sometimes they're illuminated, sometimes they have like all these really cool effects to them. Imagine that, but in a 3D virtual um, space where like you, you can create uh, anything. Like the the maps can be as big as they want to, or as big as you want to, as long as your computer can handle it. Um, and you can like import minis. You can just use the ones that are there. Uh, you go through the you know. Th- th- there's people that create maps in the community section where they've dedicated time to recreating entire uh, module stories. Like there's um, we were trying to play through Curse of Strahd um, well, at one point, and it, mm-hmm. it's it's really cool. But again, it's it, it all depends on if your computer can handle it because it's very graphic heavy. Um, 
Oh yeah, I think I I saw the initial release for this on Reddit where someone was doing an initial like alpha mm-hmm. show off of it. So yeah, it's still in early access yeah. now. But yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I have seen this before. You know, it's um, it, it's pretty cool. Um, but even then, it just didn't feel uh, it didn't feel right because again, it was just a whole bunch of strangers. Like we, it it was a whole bunch of strangers that united under the banner of let's play D and D, but none of us knew anything about each other. Like we didn't talk outside of that we just kind of showed up to session you're like hey what are you oh i'm a monk oh i'm a cleric like okay cool um and it just it it it, 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 it didn't vibe well with us i guess after a while and we we stopped and we got bummed we we were real bummed out about it we're like you know maybe we'll we'll find something we'll find something and then eventually my friend was like well why don't you try being a dm i was like well i don't know what to tell you my guy but i've i have as much as experience as you do I don't feel brave enough to do that at all yet. Maybe someday, because it sounds cool. But, um, you know, I, I can... At the time, I was like, I, I can barely tell you what to do to roll a grapple check half the time. Like, I... And you expect me to run a world? <laughs> like, I just... Um, but I was like, I'll keep it in the back burner and I'll, I'll, I'll consider it. And in secret, I started, you know, typing some stuff up. You know, coming up with... Uh, like a, a potential pantheon, and I discovered a thing called Hero Forge, and that that was <laughs> that was my downfall and my demise because I've discovered that the way that I end up creating stories is that I I make characters first. Mm-hmm. I I need to have a, a tangible representation of what they are and what they look like. Yeah, and then I'll give them meaning, and then with that meaning comes the story or whatever. Um. I it it was it's bad and then I think we were talking about it the other day and uh, I went about trying to ask or no he asked me what uh, like you know how long have you been using Hero Forge like oh like ever since we started you know messing with D and D and whatnot like so how many have you made and I went back and counted and it's somewhere in like the five hundreds kind of ballpark wow I think. that. That's um, hard to keep track of, not just to me. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's um, you know, I uh, I told him it's like you know some people have a hobby, I have a problem. I uh, it, it's just that's <laughs> that that's the difference. But I just I can't like I I I can't stop because it's because if I stop, then the world stops. You know, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, and, if and that's just, your creative process is just making a character, and then in the background you're thinking about. Like an adventure, like I wouldn't say that's bad or a problem. You know, <laughs> it just it would be a problem if you were buying all these things off. Oh your no, 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 no! Like, <laughs> I, like, um, I mean, if we had more in-person sessions, uh, with the group that I currently have, I definitely would, because I would just, you know, be buying the STL files and be printing those out like just twenty-four hours a day. Uh, oh, you have a three D printer as well? Uh, yeah. Like, well, it, it's um, it, it's currently in the process of being repaired, but. It's a pretty decent uh, resin printer, um, which is nice. Um, Oh, cool. I'd always imagine buying them for use in something like uh, Tailspire. Yeah, yeah. Because you can um, put the model into that as well. um, I actually haven't messed with that, and I'm not sure if the the partnership is done yet, but I remember when they announced it, and that was was a, a really cool announcement to have to actually have because for a while people were essentially like modding 
their minis into it. Like they were going into, they would download the STL, put it into Blender, uh, redo the uh, like uh, all the different like connection points or whatever, and then mm-hmm. like yeah. input it into the game files themselves so that you could actually play it. Which was to me that just sounds like a hell of a lot more work than I already have to deal with. But it was cool. It, it's nice because they were set up as mods on the workshop. Yeah. Um, I, I did it through Tabletop Simulator when I was trying that out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's nice. You know, other people did all this work for me. So I had <laughs> I had a bunch of miniatures when mm-hmm. I was trying that out. Um, I ended up not sticking with it. It wasn't something that worked for, for us. But After that, and I had started, like, started just trying to make stuff. And uh, like I said earlier, um, I've always kind of had this like vague image of a world or a place let's say um but i never really had a a a medium to put it through to actually like Mm -hmm. you know a, a, a conduit to send it through to give it some sort of shape or form uh and now that i had found you know this system with fifth edition and whatnot things slowly started to make more sense as i was trying to like put the pieces together here and there and it was difficult because it um for me like i i i'm very much a perfectionist and that's probably the best and worst part about me um because at the, the, the even to this point and i've already learned my lesson and and I've accepted it that, you know, I'm never going to be fully done with the world Mm. because it's, you know, real life is never fully done. If, if, if we stopped, then, you know, that would mean the progress is basically non-existent. Like there's always going to be something new, uh, you know, every day, let alone every other month or year. Like there's always something else coming out. Um, yeah, I, I think there are plenty of painters that I remember reading about where they they basically would work on a painting until the patron who had um, like commissioned it just said, give it to me, I want it now, because they would never feel finished. They always wanted to like add a little bit more color here, or a little bit there, or another tree in the background or something mm-hmm. to really make it perfect, just because you know, it's, it's hard, it's impossible to get everything in your mind onto, onto paper yeah. or canvas or whatever. And it's, but at the same time, I think it it comes from a place of wanting to, like I I and I want to understand fully how this place works. Like I see it in my mind, but mechanically speaking, I I want to know how all these the different like political systems work and like how, uh, like the economy is affected throughout different places and whatnot. And I know that I'm definitely not smart enough to understand that in the real world but i'd like to think that i understand it in my own world so at least i hope so um yeah i mean yeah and you can always come up with something else later on that mm -hmm. explains something um yeah i i feel like that's a balancing act like one of the things i never i i have never wanted to include in my campaign is different currencies yeah um (laughs) it's i feel like it you know it can be a little bit interesting but overall it doesn't add that much because you know the players have as much wealth as they have Mm -hmm. whether it's you know five gold coins from this country that are actually worth 10 gold coins in D &D money yeah or if they just have 10 gold coins like the players aren't going to view that differently yeah so instead it's just yeah you found this much money and that's uh, 
that, that that's getting to me that's a, a little bit too intricate but because just like leaving things leaving the the basics of things as is is you know that, that usually ends up working pretty well um but i guess just trying to mm. modify like the, the 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 grand scheme of things outside of that um just to make it a little bit more unique is what matters most um but um anyway to wrap up the 30 minute tangent um after a while uh i had gotten interested in trying to get more embedded with uh voice work and voiceover and i found a community somewhere of almost about a year ago and um that's where i ended up getting my equipment you know my microphone and whatnot and we uh started getting together and started to like you know do different uh voice exercises and you know practice and improv and whatnot mm-hmm. um and most of the people that were there were also basically coming together as a hey i i play D and i want to get better at improv or i want to get better at portraying my character um and also on the other half of that was like, hey, I'm a dungeon master and I want to get better at also portraying my characters to make it better for my players. Right. Uh, so seeing that as a common theme, the uh, the guy was running it, and it was Dale. Um, he would be like, yeah, so let's let's run uh, what I came to call like D&D light. Like there's no mechanics to it. There's nothing there, but you still roll a D20 and depending on how high or how low it is, the actions will follow through. Okay. But it's mostly yeah. just there to be story-driven. The numbers don't matter. Anything else doesn't really matter. Um, and it was fun. Like, you know, we, we got to experiment with, you know, different people and different scenarios for like 30 minutes at a time, and then we would call it a day. And eventually, through just being active and whatnot, I got, you know, promoted to a different role that would allow me to also start interacting with people. And... Mm-hmm. At that point, I would be like, yeah, well, you know, uh, Dale's a bit busy today. Um, it looks like a lot of us are free. Does anybody want to go into the room and practice for a bit? Um, and they'd be like, yeah, but uh, we don't have anyone to, you know, lead us. I was like, well, I guess I can I can try. I, I've been part of these enough to where I can, I know how to run a couple of things. Um, and by then, like I said, it had been almost a year after since we've been messing with D&D and whatnot. So I, 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 at that point, I felt well enough uh, exposed to the material to understand, like, you know, what checks to go with what actions or, you know, what what does this do that affects that as far as, you know, like uh, conditions or whatever, like this and that. So we went through it and we had a couple of sessions here and there. And there were a couple of people that kept on coming back specifically. And at one point, they all just kind of like came together and essentially formed like an intervention. They were like, hey, uh, we really like the way that you uh, do stories and whatnot. Have you ever considered running a campaign? I was like, I don't know about that. But I will happily keep on running one shots because that's more self-contained. The continuity doesn't really matter. Um, It can be different characters. And if it is improv... Uh, again, continuity doesn't really... It, it's not important. Um, mm-hmm. And that uh, 
<laughs> that felt like the safest way for me to interact with this because I didn't have to keep any notes. It was all mental in the moment. Um, for me, uh, I at that point, or especially just for like one shots in general, I don't prep. I just run it off all in the moment. Um, wow, that's that's uh, difficult to do. Yeah, it, it's. A, but I, I for some reason, um, I don't know if it's just a fact of my brain being weird and the fact that I, um, I end up performing better if I procrastinate. Um, and in my mind, it's the same way because you're expected to deliver at that moment because people are waiting for it. Um, and I found that a lot of the stuff, like most of the stuff that's in my campaign now was a result of stuff being mentioned in those one shots um to the point where well before we get too into it um those one shots ended up you know coming through like like maybe like once or twice a week and we would end up meeting and they would eventually be like hey like you know maybe this is a good place to start a campaign like maybe we, like you know that like you look like you have a, a good enough amount of information and they didn't know that on my end i was trying to keep track of everything and <laughs> essentially having everything that was being mentioned input into my own world as inspiration that's pretty cool um, so it's like a you had an emergent campaign setting develop from yeah all these different little improv sessions and um the 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 good thing was that all these one shots were essentially um well, not essentially. They, they, all the players that were there were playing the same characters over and over again through different scenarios. Um, and ideally enough, one of my players is uh, she's a a Chronergy wizard. Um, okay. Playing with the whole um, the idea behind uh, time magic and uh, Dunamancy from Critical Role and whatnot. Um. And at one point right. during one of the one shots, she had to leave, you know, in real life and couldn't be part of it for the entire thing. And I was like, okay, so, um, in my mind, because everything has to make sense for some reason, um, I was like, okay, so there has to be a reason for her to disappear. I was like, okay, so you, um, you see her fade into like this, you know, haze of purple and she's just gone. And you guys continue your trip. And it wasn't meant to be anything. And the next week, we continued it, because this one shot eventually ended up turning into, like, a five shot. Um, right. I was like, oh, like, she's uh, she's back. I was like, how do we explain she's back? I was like, okay, well, same thing that happened last time, just in reverse. <laughs> she, she fades into existence because of weird time magic. Uh, and that's where we're going to keep it at. And through that same one shot, they were traversing through the desert trying to find some ancient temple that some unknown source had given them a map to try and find um and they would eventually get there you know f fight a couple of things uh discover like different bits of lore that i had dropped that they didn't know belonged to my world uh, -huh. uh and at the end of it you know they would come to find this basically this giant uh shadow eldritch horror entity thing and essentially long story short through the end of it uh through all these one shots and you know 
what they were all strangers to each other and by the end of it we all ended up becoming pretty close not just the characters but the players themselves and at that point it yeah, felt like great. a good point to actually you know go on and try to do something more with it and they seemed like they kept on coming it's like you're really good at this or at least we think you're really good at this you should at least try and the same thing i kept on doing is like i'm considering it but i don't feel like it's ready i really don't um when really looking back like i i, I had just enough to at least start it and at least give them a place to begin and from there i can continue building because like for me i it took me a while to understand and to really grasp the idea of like you don't have to have the answer to absolutely everything mm -hmm. it feels nice to have it so that you're not scrambling in your notes and trying to look for something that way it's like on you and it, it, it for me specifically it feels great to like ask some obscure question maybe that you know the player might have just thought of and then like without skipping a beat you just have an answer for them because you know the world um and that's it is a nice feeling when you can do that yeah. definitely <laughs> and that, that's what i aspire to do at, at least at some point and it is like that in certain aspects because not not everything is done hell not everything is technically created yet there are like still blank spaces uh, on the world map that I'm using, because I'm not even sure what I want to put there. Um, but I just kept on telling him, it's like, you know, just give me some time, give me, like, another couple of weeks or so, and maybe we can start somewhere. And I didn't tell them, but essentially we ended up gathering for another one-shot. And they thought, like, oh, we're just going to continue the story that we were already doing. Which we technically were. And we began, like, right at the end of the last session. Uh -huh. And with that, the uh, the Chronergy player started to, like, fade out. Like, their vision started to black out. And it was, like, it was from their perspective now, instead of from the players. And then it all fades to black. And I had it so that she woke up on a ship in the campaign world so that she's still the same character technically um uh -huh. and then from there they just kept on going and it it, it created an, an interesting dynamic where technically she had been through all the all the previous um lives or experiences if you want to call it uh-huh and now she's here with the same players and the same characters, but none of them know each other, technically. They have no reason to know each other because it's a different reality, let's say, because we were messing with, you know, weird time, gravity, yeah, yeah, reality yeah. thing. Of course. Uh, and then it just, it, it, it went on from there. Like, I, I essentially ended up using the one-shots and canonized them as different versions of the reality that they were currently playing in, which was... Cool, and I'd never—I didn't expect to do that. I wasn't planning to actually follow through with any of that. Um, but so far, it's created a, a really cool uh, experience for them, or at least I—you know—they keep on coming back. So at least that—that that tells me that they're—they're they're enjoying it, or I must be doing something yeah, right. And that's cool. You can bring in like aspects of the different mm -hmm. one shots you did, but without having to like 
worry yourself with like the the sequence of them or the what which ones count as canon or something like that within the yeah the campaign world exactly and, and like uh, yeah. right now um they're uh, they're essentially having a um a play-by-play um well a, a, a replay of what they had in that uh session and in, in that five shot that happened but it's happening in this world now from a different perspective and you know now that now that everything's not being fully improvised and there's lore behind it and there's you know there's a rhyme and reason for things being where they are and why they were put there or what happened to them now they're actually having to like play through it and essentially having the weirdest case of deja vu but experiencing it for the first time mm-hmm. which is neat um and what's cool is that we've um well we we've been playing for about maybe six or seven months now and we're uh well it's all online unfortunately it's all been online so far through discord and through mere luck everyone in my party happened to be traveling for some rhyme or reason or at least most of them were mm-hmm. and now uh this next coming week of uh on the 19th on wednesday we're all going to meet to actually have an in-person session um which is well, you're, you're all going to be in the same airport or something uh well we're all they're all coming down to texas and we'll we're going to meet at uh one of the local D D stores and just play our session all day long like we rented out the room to have all day there and we're just awesome. gonna it's it, it it it's especially it's kind of fitting because it's it's kind of from, from a from a certain point it's kind of coming up to like the uh like, like the mid-season finale of the story if you will mm-hmm. um so it, it it's nice to actually have everyone here and it's been a little bit more stressful because i'm here you know trying to print out minis and uh have like a plan to have some sort of like physical battle map and whatnot so but other than that i mean it's it, it, it's been really cool to try and prep and just work with all of that um but yeah no we we it's been a ride and it, it yeah it, that it, sounds it, very exciting it, it's been um it's been both uh, it, 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 it as much stressful as it's been fun, because of the fact that I'm, I and I, I don't and I technically have a co DM or a couple of them, but at the same time, mm. it's just mostly me, because again, it's you know they're their own people, they have their own lives, uh, some of them are married and they have to you know take care of you know their wife and kids, and I, I don't blame them for that. Right. Um, some people aren't as lucky to have as much free time as I tend to do. Um, but that means that I end up having most of my time having to think about, you know, where things are going to go, what they might meet. Um, you know, it just, but, but most of the world building ended up being me. And again, it's, it's very fun to end up figuring out how everything works and essentially just giving myself a puzzle to work with. Cause it's, I've um, then I think this is as close as I've gotten to actually writing a story, of sorts. Um, 
I've never actually like tried to like write anything down or you know make anything because it just it, it it hasn't really been my interest up until now. Yeah. Um, do you want to get into talking about your world now? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, what's the what's the name of it? Uh, yes. So uh, the name of the world is Zetros. So why don't you give me a, a physical description of Zetros, um, at least for the area that the, the players are usually traveling around in? Uh, at the moment, uh, they are in a continent that goes by the name of Marbleth. Um, it is, for the most part, it, it, it has a pretty good general um, like sprinkling of different societies and cultures and races and whatnot. But it um, has a couple of islands uh, towards the north, uh, southeast of them. It's and it, it, it's a pretty big place, and it, it, it it's big enough to at least contain multiple kingdoms in it. Um, it is a place that's predominantly ruled by a kingdom of uh, humans that uh, has a. Um, it has a lot of strong feelings towards uh, dragons and dragonkin, uh, mostly because of uh, historical reasons. Okay, um, so you said like it's got a bunch of different areas, so it doesn't have like a specific tone to the the land. It's all like there's you know there's mountains here, desert there. Yeah, like it's a, a bit of everything. Uh, there's a towards the bottom of it and there's a, a a large section which might as well be a different a, a completely different continent um of itself uh and it, it's a place that's referred to as the undying lands which is a nice little not uh, lord of the rings um mm -hmm. the uh language of the elders they refer to it as numarkal uh it is a large desolate area that give or take about a thousand years to the time prior, uh, there was a, a great accident that um, the precursor race that existed there uh, had a sort of uh, temple slash base embedded into the, the center of this place. And um, an accident occurred, and what used to be a large jungle region was essentially nuked, uh, for lack of a better word, and yeah. turn into a desert, a desert that hasn't recovered since, um, and that's why they, it, it it's slowly coming back up, and people are moving back into it and trying to like you know, uh, repopulate it and give it purpose again, uh, and that's why they call it the Undying Lands because it's in, it's a place that refuses to let life die, essentially. Um, past that, it's blocked off by a uh, mountain range known as the Carabrant Mountains, which uh, cut through the entirety of that desert region, block it off, and then head uh, northeast. There is a desert at the bottom. There's the, the, the main capital city, which is uh, Azagan Kovu, which translates into essentially Giant Scar, or Scar of Giants, depending on how you do it. Uh, there's the different uh, city-states of uh, Brazas and Karazan, Mazar, uh, Fakrunis, uh, Korodil. And on top of that, there are the Karabrin Mountains with the two major uh, Dwarven cities. There's Kazat Mord and Kazat Ras, which uh, translate to the Green Gate and the Dead Gate. Uh, those have their own Dwarven societies that live in there. They're you know, different Dwarven clans and whatnot. 
there is the uh, the mirrored Myers of Tombscruff, which is essentially like a uh, a mix of like swamp badlands that would eventually end up uh, past that would maybe turn into like a really lowland sort of forest and hill kind of situation. Um, mm-hmm. Past that. Towards the west, there's the Everheim Forest with the Zellen Grove and the Geld Woodlands and whatnot. Uh, there's Dracio, which is a large uh, sort of uh, port city that um, revolves around being a, a highly uh, academic type of city. Um, they have close connections on the other side of the map towards... Um, the upper right, uh, northeast of it, which is the Second Sky Academy. Um, okay. <clears throat> that serves as uh, essentially just take Hogwarts and throw it up into the sky. Um, that's That was the whole uh, premise of that. A floating wizard school mm-hmm. city? Yeah. Yeah, um, I have the same thing in my campaign. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the very, very top, there is the uh, region known as Vasia, which is, that's the name of the human kingdom. Let's run that. Uh, they essentially okay. have domain over most of everything that's up north, up until you hit Dracio, and before you hit the Second Sky Academy. Uh, Rodania, which is a slight nod to The Witcher, um, that would end up being the isolated island kingdom uh, of the uh, Dragonborn and Dragonkin, uh, where they all okay. kind of just go and try to... Uh, find some sort of safe haven where they won't be hunted by the Vassian Empire. Um, somewhere... Okay, so it looks kind of like you have different regions for different races with like a human empire and a, a dragonborn enclave, safe place, mm-hmm. and then I'm guessing the forests have elves in them and yes. dwarves in the mountains, mm-hmm. something along those lines. Yep. Just trying okay. to keep it somewhat... Uh, to the the general uh, standard theme and whatnot. Uh, And if you look down at the very, very bottom, towards the bottom left, uh, there is that small sort of uh, island atoll situation, Merriwick Bay. That was the starting point of the campaign. Um, Okay. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that. Okay. But yeah, that's essentially it. Um, There's a... All right, so... This seems pretty standard. Like you got the flying city; it's a little different, uh-huh. and the the giant scar is definitely a, a different thing going on here. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it is, you know, we we all use fantasy tropes. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so why don't we? You want to talk a little bit more about the the giant scar? Like what what happened there? I'm thinking the the survey you mentioned there was some giant dragon civilization that had some sort of cataclysm. The way that. Um... And I, I probably won't end up going too into it because I feel like my players might come and listen to this. Yes, yes, that is an element of the podcast. Uh, is you don't want to give away stuff that's going to come up later on, yeah. so you can't give all the details. But that's all right. We can leave the, um, the audience wondering as well. Yeah, of course. But essentially, uh, in this world, uh, it's implied that, um, or at least in, from what's known at this point, is that the the world was initially created for dragons since uh, the first gods to come about uh, after uh, the initial 
singularity that essentially created the universe um, went about in trying to create uh, children, and these children would become the gods of the current pantheon, which would end up being uh, Tiamat, Bahamut, and a mix of others first. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would go about to populate the world first, just essentially what we know to be the uh, chromatic and metallic dragons of D&D. Um, and for, for a good while, it was kept like that until, for some reason, uh, whatever wave of gods came after the first birth uh, decided to populate the world with a diversity of races, which at the moment is basically just uh, dwarves, or what are proto-dwarves, proto-humans, proto-elves, and what a race of giants that are known as the Mayagao. The um, this race of giants was they were highly intelligent. They're not akin to the giants that are uh, here today, like you know cloud giants and whatnot. They're descendants of them, but uh, they were gifted with vast amounts of knowledge and just being able to understand uh, how the arcane weave works, and they went about building an entire civilization throughout the entirety of the world itself. <clears throat> um, and there are, you know, different continents and whatnot will have different uh, parts of their history and whatnot. But this is a race that would eventually end up trying to coexist with dragons that were there. Um, and also try to fight off the chromatics, which they didn't feel like they deserved to be there since this world was initially created for the dragons. Um, Okay. And this race would go about and essentially create um, what is in current time, as far as what people can understand, because it's it's the 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 first or the the, the quickest sort of analog to understand uh, temples. Sacred temples to uh, the very first uh, precursor god, or one of the first primordial gods, uh, known as Freotos, which is believed to be the one who created the current pantheon. Um, they would follow him and essentially try and go forth and seek out knowledge and try to, you know, understand and help the world through him. You know, like, it's whatever, it gets a bit intricate. Uh, but here, with the giant scar, um, Again, what people perceived to be a temple to them is essentially it was an R and D facility. It, it, it was a place oh. where they could go out. Well, back when uh, before Numorkal was uh, referred to what it is now, when it was the uh, the Zungali jungle, and it was basically an isolated uh, rainforest region. That there was a kingdom there. There, there was a uh, an established. Uh, kingdom of Leonin that would rule over this place, among other creatures. But mm-hmm. uh, they had a treaty where they could, you know, like, uh, settle there and they wouldn't disturb them, maybe even give them a couple things in return and whatnot. You know, just general standard trade. But essentially what this was is that this was a place for them to experiment with different forms of magic and try to figure out how things worked. Like, um, 
as my players were just walking through this entire thing, they managed to find what is essentially like the the different science labs that were embedded into this place. Uh, like there were things that were essentially referring to like a, a like mana redistribution and like manipulation, or like a, 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 what's it? A chronal displacement chambers. Uh, there is a thing called the Feygate network, which implies that there's essentially like, uh, you know, like a Stargate, but it lets you traverse through different points of the planes, but through uh, a connected cable network of Fey magic, essentially. Uh, okay. There's yeah, little, little Fey train station. Yeah, essentially. Um, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff, like you know, like they were trying to. Uh, one of the things they ended up discovering and fighting was essentially. Um, breaking it down is basically the physical manifestation of a silence spell, which is meant to be uh, a huge ooze that was able to like spread itself through a room and encompass it. And the idea is that once it feels something or someone enter the room, it closes off and it creates a soundproof barrier so that no verbal components can be like done. And it's literally immune to everything. So it's stuff like that. Like, they were trying to, like, focus on stuff to, like, be, like, passive, but still keep a sense of security. Um, and further into this temple, they would end up discovering that at the, for the most part, the center of it, they were trying to collect this sort of uh, resource that would allow them to convert it into a power source. And this power source was being stored inside of a battery, essentially. This was a, a, a giant uh, nuclear reactor, for lack of a better term. Okay. That core was centered. It, it, it was dug into the earth, just for the sake of saving space, I would assume. Now, it's implied that, give or take about a thousand years ago, in the current time of, the, uh, of this game taking place... Uh, there was an event that was simply referred to as the Great Cataclysm, where there was a, a chain of events of disasters that happened revolving around the Maya Gao, um, uh race. And different things happened in different parts of the world, in different continents. But here, essentially what happened is that uh, the core... Um, started to malfunction for some reason. And all that energy that had been stored up just blew off. And it exploded. Yeah, I'm definitely saying the nuclear parallel. It sounds yeah. a lot like Chernobyl. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and whatever it was, or whatever amount of power they were storing there was powerful enough to not only shatter the earth around it, but completely just decimate everyone and the entire continent, essentially. Like, you can even tell um, the mountain range was supposed to continue towards that edge. But there are those ones that are slightly darker and a bit more curved towards one side. Uh, mm -hmm. That's because of the blast radius managed to hit that side of the mountains. And it, okay, it so wasn't... It's almost uh, like a crater caused <clears throat> by it. All right. Yeah, like, it, it wasn't enough to completely clear out the mountains, but it left them so that they're essentially, like, curved spikes that loom over the desert region um 
And in the common tongue, uh, Zunkarazan would essentially translate to the ribcage. That's what they colloquially know that city to be. Um, but the Zygankovu is both in that old tongue, giant scar because of, you know, the way that it affected the earth around it, but also scar of giants, depending on how you translate it and your interpretation of the word, because it's mm -hmm. literally what it was. Um, yeah, okay. I can see the ambiguity there. That's cool. But, um, yeah, and, and after after that happened, uh, there is what was known as the 200-year the period as the the Age of Ashen Suffering, which was this giant... Uh, well, not giant. There's this huge uh, war that was started by the dragons to try and uh, lay claim to the lands again and try to enslave the humanoid population. Because up to that point, the Mayagao were basically the only ones who were able to fight back against the chromatic dragons. They were the only ones just, like, who stood a chance against them. <clears throat> now that they were gone, they took full advantage of that. And now was essentially these humanoid races with some help of some metallic dragons going up against most of the entire population of these chromatics. Um, after all that, they, you know, they, they would end up winning in the end. Mm -hmm. But um, certain, certain things would happen. Uh, it's, uh, it's known that Bahamut, in this case, would essentially put a stop to it and be like, hey, everyone, time out, go to sleep, just everyone chill, like, just stop it. Like, <laughs> that's what happened. Right. Uh, okay. All the dragons would leave for a couple, like, four to five hundred years, and that would essentially give the people enough time to, like, you know, regroup and repopulate and try to understand how to defend themselves. Um. After that time, the dragons would come out of their hibernation and see that essentially like the world is different now. The world's... It, 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 it's moved on without them, and now they're a lot more well-equipped to defend themselves, if need be. So, both metallic and chromatic would essentially just end up uh, polymorphing into humanoid species and embedding themselves into society. And some time would go by and eventually some of them would come to form families and at one point some of them would have children and unbeknownst to them uh, even though they were human or you know, seemed human their mm -hmm. aspects would be passed down just through mere genetics and that's how dragonborn were created in my world Okay, so it's kind of like how Celestials, uh, the Ismars and Tieflings work yeah. in the current iteration, where it's like, can be dormant, and then it shows up? Yeah, like, it'll, um, uh, well, for the most part, like, it, it's it's there from the beginning. Like, they're they're born, and you can clearly tell that they, they uh -huh. have, like, uh, d depending on uh, what race it is, too, because I, I've started to integrate the idea that every race... Have they had an interaction with a dragon? There is a there's a sub race of dragonborn for specific races. Um, just because I felt like it's it it, it felt uh, right for you know what was happening with the lore there, and I just felt it would be interesting to actually implement that. Like there's a 
so far they've met essentially what the the dwarven variant of a dragonborn would be, which is called a Drunagar. Uh, and the Drunagar are basically just, if you take a kobold, make them stockier, uh, a lot stronger, and uh, a lot stronger, more <laughs> stronger, there we go, uh, uh-huh. and more intelligent, and, you know, able to actually, uh, like, work a forge and stuff like that. They're, yeah, they're, they're, there's, there's different versions of everything, and there's even, uh, there, there's a, a, a difference between regular dragonborn, which is essentially what uh, humans and dragons would create. And then there's what... Um, there, there's a possibility of two dragons that when they get together in humanoid form, that their child will also be stuck in humanoid form. Oh, without okay. being a dragon. That's an interesting one. Um, and at that point, they're referred to as pureblood dragons, or drakine. Um, they, th- there's literally no other noticeable difference at first glance between them and regular dragonborn, other than the fact that they live up to sometimes up to 200 years old. So they'll age a bit differently. But other than that, it's essentially the same thing. Um, but th- th- having had the bad experiences they did during the war... And now that it's, you know, several generations later and people don't really trust what these dragons would do or are capable of because of stories they've heard, uh, it essentially triggered the equivalent of a witch hunt in Marbleth, where people trying to find these dragons that were hidden in society. And it created uh, these things like, oh, like, you know, if people were running for, um, for some sort of office to be some sort of like mayor or something like, well, how do we know that this guy isn't a dragon? Like, my opponent could be a dragon, and how are we going to trust him? Stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of a, a lot of undeserving death and cruelty that went around towards dragonkind because of all the, uh, um, the, 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 the paranoia and superstitions behind it. Um, and that's what essentially ended up um, creating the reason for them to get out of there and move somewhere where they were going to be safe. Um, so the majority of them ended up retreating to Rodania. And they would be ruled over a, a gold and silver dragon that remain in humanoid form. Uh, humanoid as in they appear like a dragonborn. They're not fully human. Um, okay. But, yeah, that's that, that's essentially that. Um, that's how the history's been going so far. Like, they... they most humanoid species, especially humans, period, tend not to have the greatest amount of trust towards Dragonborn. And the further in you go into the Vassian Kingdom, the more dangerous it is to be a Dragonborn existing in that area. Because um, there are there are full-on uh, divisions within the Vassian army that are dedicated to hunt the Dragonborn. Okay, um, that's pretty cool. I like that. It's usually Dragonborn are more considered like a a good race, but in your campaign, they're more like a untrusted pariah. Yeah, like, and it's um, it it just makes it to be like an unfortunate situation because you know, especially for the metallics, because the metallics were the ones that sided with the humans during the war, and they fought for them. They a lot of them fell because of it, and now after all, like everything they've done, you know, now they treat them like 
a monster, which I mean is technically kind of true in comparison, but mm-hmm. there's just not they, they 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 didn't earn that trust from them, I suppose, and it it just it makes living a lot harder for them, but um. That that's the the super condensed version of everything that's happened within the history of this place. Um, but to go back to the scar, um, up to modern time, there's within that crater, which to put it into relative size, the the hole itself is give or take about maybe like half a mile uh, in length, like the actual opening itself. And it goes about two miles deep. So about like twice the size of the Grand Canyon, essentially. Okay. Um, within that, there is just an, like, there's an entire city that's been established that lives underground within the walls of this place. Um, because this entire place has basically been turned into a somewhat of a, a, a mining settlement that... Uh, the Vasian Empire has jurisdiction over because of some treaties that have been done. Um, that leads me to another thing that's unique about my world. Um, is that in this world, there are no health potions. There's no such thing as health elixirs. There's nothing. It's just magic. But in in this place, there's and essentially the, the way it happened is that whenever I was trying to think of things to make unique in my world, I started with a real simple idea. It's like, well, what if instead of having liquid potions, instead of being liquid, why weren't, why aren't they solid? Like the actual tangible things that you can, you know, handle. Mm-hmm. And that ended up uh, going towards the creation of a uh, this substance that's called Revivium. Which is essentially these uh, these red gemstone crystals that grow in veins under the earth, and throughout history, throughout mining, people would discover them and run tests on them, and they discovered that this mineral had some sort of healing capability. Uh, depending on the purity of it, is the the strength of the potion, essentially. Um, and all you do is you you hold it, and it's implied that it has like the slightest essence of sentience to it, because the crystals hmm. they don't automatically activate when you grab it. You can hold it like you know in your hand and whatnot, but they won't work unless you have the intention to heal either you or someone else, which is a bit interesting. Um, and there's a whole reason behind that, but again, my players haven't gotten that far. That's going to be a uh, sort of endgame reveal type of thing. Um, but there, there's a whole reason as to why all of that exists within the world itself. Um, and this has essentially become a sort of uh, a very important uh, resource that a lot of people want to have access to. For commercial reasons, mostly, and because of the okay. influence and power that the the Vasian Empire has, um, they've essentially seized control of just this city 
in the center and tried to uh, overtake all the mining operations, which has essentially destroyed any kind of um, economic prosperity on their part. Because now instead of them being rich and trying to thrive off of it, now the Empire is getting all the fun. Um, so that, that creates a, an, an, an interesting dilemma around there. And that's something that they had to deal with as they were walking by. Um, because, um, actually, well, the, the, we haven't uh, gotten to my players yet, but to, to go into the story of one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the, the prince of the Rodanian kingdom. Uh, so he is a dragonborn. He is a, a pureblood dragonborn. But gotcha. uh, up to this point, he uh, he was born a uh, a gemstone dragonborn, a crystal gem. Okay. Uh, yeah. Which up to this point in history, as far as known history goes, gemstone dragons don't exist at all. Okay, so he doesn't know like his ancestry um, then. Yeah, no, he's anyone within his family or just like just him in general don't know about any of it. Like as far as everyone knows, he was the first one to be born like that, which was strange considering that both parents were metallic, and they took that as a sort of uh, like religious sign that he was meant to be something more. You know, okay. playing into the whole mechanic that crystal gems are, uh, crystal gem dragons are, uh, their main um, damage output is radiant damage. So he plays a light domain cleric and essentially goes on behalf of representing the kingdom and Bahamut and trying to form, uh, now that he's been born and is of age, he's going around the world trying to form diplomatic relations with people, trying to open up the borders of Rodania again so that they would be accepted in society again Um, okay that's a nice way of like having a more personal connection with the the background of your story that's mm -hmm. good and and it it definitely makes it uh interesting because of the fact that he is a a member of a royal family which would have had you know great education and whatnot so every single time there's like oh some sort of potential lore drop and someone rolls low and like would I know this? What, 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 in my studies, what I've done? I was like, yeah, like, I mean, if it's anything dragon-related, you basically have to give it to them, because it, would, it wouldn't make sense to have someone who was born from dragon lineage to so be like, you know what? No, you don't know this one thing. That's weird. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> um, but, yeah, no, like, it, it's... Um, there, there, there's a whole bunch of little things here and there, but and, and as far as the... That that's my long-winded explanation for why the scar exists. Okay, all right. Um, I touched on a lot of a lot of other stuff there, yeah. so that, that's good. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, why don't we talk about the the hub for your campaign? Um, so you mentioned a a couple of different um, like uh, different villains that had shown up. Why don't you talk about uh, one or two of those? So Merriwick Bay is. It ended up being the starting point, mostly because of just of how enclosed it was. It's okay, uh, and that's that like set of islands that's off the coast on the far right. Uh, yes, the it, it, it's right. uh right towards the uh, the southeast of the Ganymede coast. Um, okay, got it. They um, 
up to this point and for a, a long while, Merrick Bay has been an independent place. They uh, have um, they don't fall under any kind of royal jurisdiction, so they are able to do and run as their own operation, essentially. Uh, they serve as one of the major trading hubs of this side of the world. So it's a pretty important place. Um, it does look relatively small here, but just to give it a bit of scale, uh, there are five different islands that form this sort of semicircular atoll formation. Mm -hmm. uh, each one, give or take, takes about a day to walk from one end to another. The the place itself is essentially run by a council representative of each island, and each island head does its own uh, thing. They all provide their own resource. Uh, for example, uh, the one towards the far right that kind of sticks out towards the, the top of the word bay, um, that is a place known as Crowned Ridge, which is essentially this mountainous region that is an island that uh, has a volcano sitting on it that is inactive thankfully uh, but because of the type of uh, ground that it's on and in the volcanic activity that it has had is a very fertile uh, farming ground um, okay yeah volcanic ash is very good for fertilizer mm -hmm. that makes sense and uh, there's a family that took advantage of that one day and essentially took a fruit that was available towards the other end of the, the continent and brought it here as soon as the bay opened up and essentially ended up uh, running a very successful wine business called the Crown's Jewel. Um, because the, the the entire mountain range is referred to as the Crown. Um, so just stuff like that. Every island has their own thing that they uh, they give towards the island to benefit them and their economy. When okay. they yeah. The reason for the players to, starting there was... Um, it wasn't meant to be like that, but uh, each one had a, a different reason in their, their backstory that just ended up making sense. Like, for instance, um, the uh, the gemstone dragonborn, the cleric, he was out on a diplomatic mission trying to reach out as many people as possible. It would make sense that he would start here since it's a, a neutral territory that has no human influence or no Vossian influence. Okay. Um, our Chronergy wizard... Uh, had their the library that they grew up in destroyed by some mysterious pirate ship in the middle of the night. So they would go towards some sort of uh, port city, naturally. Um, there were two players that were born in Merriwick Bay, one of them returning, one of them they met there. And the other one was just really good at sailing and had a, a sailor background. So he just kind of tagged along on the boat ride. Um, okay, yeah, they all have a little bit little connection to that space mm -hmm. that's cool um so as the the cleric prince was there to talk to the council that ran this place at the same time as luck would have it the prince of vasia would end up coming around on the last leg of his tour to meet the empire that he was going to run and just be more familiar with the territories around marbleth um and they would eventually end up having this meeting and talking about stuff, and it was um, it was nice because it seemed like they actually had a chance of trying to coexist because the cleric prince and the Vassian prince would actually have like good uh, 
they, they hit it off pretty well and actually started to, you know, to communicate. And there was hope, at least, that something good would come from it. During their time here, uh, one of the players, the players that was, uh, the players that they met there, at least one of them, is part of this sort of, uh, like, secret assassin cult called the Crimson Glare, which um, they are, they're in a blood hunter organization that specializes in uh, essentially blackmail and recon. Um, and since this is a large hub of trade, sometimes important people end up coming here. And what they would do is that they would send their agents to find these people and the way that they operate, they have certain items that allow them to be, you know, unseen or undetected for the most part, at least, you know, with the common eye. And the way that they do their things is that they, they essentially stage their, uh, their ambushes as vampire attacks to conceal their true okay. stuff or their, 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 their true meaning. Uh, because the, what, what they do is that they don't, they don't go out of their way to hurt the person. They try their best to remain unseen. But they have to gather blood. And the way they do that is that they use a syringe, or a, a syringe system that makes it look as if a vampire was the one that attacked them. And now they're yeah, paranoid trying to look for something that wasn't... prong syringe thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the reason why they collect blood is because the... Um, there's the, the person who is the head leader of this organization... Um, essentially has a, a way to connect with the blood of these people. And through, and I can't say too much either because we haven't gotten to that part. Oh, okay. But uh, to break it down a bit, there, there there is a way that these people can utilize the blood that they've collected to essentially scry on them without the person knowing and they can intervene with their lives and blackmail them into doing stuff for them throughout the world and essentially control uh, what they do and threaten okay. them with, you know, if they don't do this, then this will happen or whatever. That's, all, right. that's yeah. all they do, and they're really good at it. And one of the players was trying to get out of this cult. They found the, uh, the other group of people, tagged along with them, and ran away. Uh, that's one of the threats that is so far unknown to the people of Merriwick Bay so far. The other okay. ones that they ran into was a, strangely enough, another cult of people that um, up to this point in universe, they don't know their name, but they're technically part of a one-shot that they all played, so they already know about it. It is okay. uh, a people... <laughs> that go by uh, the name of the Shattered Ones, which they essentially just wear... They wear dark robes all the time to conceal the armor that they wear, which essentially looks like if you were to take, like, like brass-ish gold armor and then mm -hmm. just, like, embed or glue, like, shards of a broken mirror on it. That's what the armor looks like. Okay. Uh, they remain, them, uh, you know anonymous with masks and whatnot and their whole thing is that they believe uh they strongly believe that before the pantheon was created 
there and, and before the before the pantheon and before the primordials were created there was what they considered to be a singularity which was the amalgamation of all of that power okay you're, so you're using like the the standard dawn war pantheon so all of them combined together yeah like they um throughout the the beginning of the creation myth essentially what happened is that there's and it's believed that there was some sort of singularity that split into two for one reason or another. Those two would end up being the primordial gods that represented the good and the bad. Okay. The the good would end up uh, breaking small chunks of his power off to essentially give birth to the current pantheon, or at least the, the current, uh, the good side of the pantheon. Right. And in an effort to not be, you know, outdone or be left behind, the other darker half would do the same thing. Um, and they take this whole, uh, from a, from a religious standpoint, they take that whole, uh, process as, uh, like him literally breaking pieces off of his soul okay. to create these people, to embed them with, you know, whatever kind of godly power necessary to create the God he wanted. Okay. Uh, that entire process was uh, is named the Great Shattering. Uh, and I'm guessing they want to put that primordial god back together. They 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 want to put everything back together because they believe that the the world is broken and it needs to be repaired. And the only way to do that is to put it back to the thing, you know, back to the way it was, essentially. All right. So like malevolent Gnosticism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. And. Uh, that would require them trying to go about and uh if uh if you're familiar with uh bits of lore of critical role it's uh there are these things called the vestiges of di of divergence or if mm -hmm. on the other end uh there's the the arms of the betrayers so both good and evil there are magic items that represent each god and grant abilities and boons to the people that wield them and essentially uh -huh. at that point you become like the chosen warrior of them or whatever in this case it's the same thing but it's different whenever the birth of a god would happen uh there would literally be a physical chunk that would form that was like this condensed mote of energy that would represent the god and those chunks were just scattered throughout the material plane and all other planes of existence. Those would come to be known as the shards of creation. And with the other half, the spalls of rancor. And they both serve the same purpose. Whenever they're embedded into an item, they, you know, they, they turn it into some sort of weapon or armor or any kind of other magic item that grants them some sort of, you know, essence of that god. Okay. Yeah. Big, big, powerful artifact level item. Essentially. Um, but that's the, that's that. Like they're they're trying their best to basically put the gods back together, um, and the way they're doing that is that they're trying to create all kinds of disarray and essentially renouncing all of the other gods that exist at the moment. So, um, cut back towards the very very last session before they left the island. Um, the the blood hunter agent character that was trying to run away mm -hmm. was still uh, like they still knew about him 
but they essentially put a bounty on his head. And the bounty hunter decided to play with his mind a bit and be like, hey, uh, do something for me. And if you do it right and it all goes well, I'll add uh, a little bit of bonus time to your bounty and I'll let you get a, a head start just to kind of, you know, play with him a bit. Okay. And he did. And he was like, he went to a pickup point, found a small box. And he was like, okay, smuggle it onto this ship. Okay. And he did successfully. It was great. The whole meeting with the prince goes by. The ball does its thing. They all have a great time. They're like, oh, yeah, like, we'll we'll probably end up calling a meeting once I get back to the kingdom. And um, we'll arrange some stuff to try and help your people and try to make things right. Prince gets back on a ship. And they start seeing him sail off. And all of a sudden, there's an explosion that happens. And from that explosion, a dragon turtle comes out and just rips the ship apart. After the whole rescue operation happens to try to get whoever else was left, uh, the prince is gone, and the right hand of the prince is gone. And it's assumed that they're dead. And the person responsible for that was one of my players, through the work of the bounty hunter that's chasing him. Um, uh, okay. So now there's there's the death of the prince, and literally right as that was happening, the other cult went about and basically set explosives on every single temple in these islands. Because, again, since it's, it's a port city, one, and it's neutral, two, so they allow a grand... Uh, basically, in the entire selection of the Pantheon to be inclusive to everyone. Oh, I see. Uh, and depending on what island you're on is the temple you'll find. Essentially, what they did is that they went in and just, you know, started attacking the priests and destroying the temples. And it happened in a way where it almost felt coordinated. And the players aren't sure if it's connected or not at this point. Even though it's like one organization just wants yeah. money and power, basically. Another one wants to undo existence. Mm -hmm. Uh and then, uh, I think those were the, the 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 three prime things that happened. Yeah, um, and actually, it's about time to wrap up. We're we're running a little bit over. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Uh, so, is there any other? I think we already covered most of the things I wanted to interview about. Um, is there any like piece of advice you'd want to give to other DMs? Piece of advice. <sighs> try your best to not stress yourself out especially if you're trying to create your own world um, start small start very small because um, out of personal experience um, if you're trying to create a world where your players will be able to run free it's going to take them a while to get to everything that you've created. So just take your time developing just developing a, a certain point and don't try to worry too much about what's to come immediately after. Because time will move a lot slower than you think. Yep. Yeah. You know? The DMG gives that same advice where you're supposed to like develop something that's just like a five mile square yeah. initially. Just to have something there and that that's enough to mm -hmm. get started. And that's good advice. Just um, 
just personally speaking, there will be times where you think you're not providing enough bits of story, or maybe your players are confused and generally don't know where to go, and you might think that's on you, because you're the one who has the entire chunk of the story on your end. You know where the points connect. So, if they do need some help, nudge them in the right direction. But just trust that you're doing okay. You're, you're doing all right. Um, and just let them have fun. They'll they'll get it eventually. All right, cool. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Edwin. Um, of course. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to when it comes out. Yeah, of course. Um, thanks so much for having me. Okay, so that'll be the end of the episode there. Okay. Um, is there anything you want to ask me now that we're at the end? Uh, hmm. Well, I guess I, like maybe just shoot back a couple of questions you gave me. Um, not, I'm assuming, it, are you running a homebrew campaign? Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, my homebrew world is called Samiria, and it's about um, a couple of different. Uh, uh, I wanted to use the Greek gods just because they felt more grounded to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Samiria is a fantasy region that the Greeks described, so it's um, reimagined uh, an area around the Caspian to fit that. Interesting. Um, and then that's got. Uh, there was a evil dragon vampire empire that they overthrew recently in one of the campaigns, and now we're starting a new set of characters um, in that campaign, and they're playing a bunch of orcs now that are trying to unite the different orc tribes that have been um, on the fringes of society in the past. Kind of like the Dragonborn, mm-hmm. but a little bit less of a... You know, it, there's there's differences, obviously, between what you did with your Dragonborn and what's happening with the, the orcs in my campaign. Yeah. Um, Okay, so yeah, so they're they're the the good orcs, although that's sort of a relative expression, and the bad <laughs> ones are all necromancers. So. Okay, yeah, yeah, that that's definitely a clear distinction. Um, but uh, I guess another thing too, since it's it's something that you've based into um, relative history, I guess. Um, what is something that you've created that you're either proud of? that is that you would consider is unique to your world whether that's like an item or an event or a person um the one that i like the best is there's a city that's ruled by um a panda oh um uh, it's a city that was founded by dionysus so every year they have a drinking contest to decide who the next ruler will be and the winner of the drinking contest gets to wear the crown of the panda which turns them into a panda um and also makes them very smart so they actually know what they're doing when they're a ruler um the panda gets to change one of the laws in the city so they get to add a law or subtract one um and that law is enforced by a pack of blink dogs that are the police for the city effectively um 
and the pan that panda then rules for one year and then they have to give the crown to someone else but um that person stays a panda afterwards they just no longer have the like the ruling powers um so then there's a bunch of intelligent pandas that are walking around that city <laughs> that's interesting okay that's so really in cool my, in my last campaign one of the players played a, a retired panda um they were a druid so it didn't make much of a difference because they were shape-shifting anyways yeah. but um yeah well damn okay i might have to steal that <laughs> uh, feel free 